The first of my posts to the Facebook group was a focused summary of Part 3, Chapters 1 and 2. Waving his hand weakly to cut short Razumihin's consolations to his mother and sister, Raskolnikov takes them by the hand and looks at them with an alarming, almost insane expression. Raskolnikov tells his mother and sister to go home, and when his mother refuses, tells her irritably not to torture him. Razumihin then offers to abandon his own guests and stay with Raskolnikov himself. But Raskolnikov tells him, too, to go away, saying he can't stand it. Raskolnikov asks whether they have seen Luzhin, and his mother replies that they have not, and that they have heard he was so kind as to visit Raskolnikov earlier that day. Raskolnikov says he was indeed so kind, and that he told him to go to hell. He goes on to say that Dunya must refuse Luzhin. She is marrying him for Raskolnikov's sake, and he won't accept the sacrifice. Dunya reacts with offense, but Razumihin and Polheria Alexandrovna interpose to say that he is raving, and that they should leave him alone. Raskolnikov insists he is not delirious. The marriage is an infamy, he says, and it is him or Luzhin. Razumihin calls him a despot, and Raskolnikov turns to the wall, exhausted. Avdotya Romanovna looks at Razumihin with an interested expression in her flashing black eyes that makes him start. Pulcheria Alexandrovna says again that she will not leave Raskolnikov, but Razumihin insists she must accompany Avdotya Romanovna to the disgraceful lodgings found for them by Luzhin. As he makes his arguments to them, he is in a state of extraordinary excitement, bordering on ecstasy, feeling that if they asked him to jump headmost down the stairs, he would have done it without hesitation. He gives his arguments while gripping their hands tightly in his huge bony paws, and when they pull away, he only draws them closer. Both Avdotya Romanovna and Pulcheria Alexandrovna feel anxious and alarmed at his eccentric behavior. But, given Nastasia's favorable account of him and his own evident good nature, they are reassured. He persuades them to allow him to conduct them home, saying he will run right back and then bring them a report on how Raskolnikov is doing, after which he will fetch Zosimov and bring him for a second doctor's report. Then he will sleep in the passage, and Zosimov at the landlady's, so they can keep a close eye. Avdotya Romanovna agrees to this plan, telling her mother that they can trust him, and he responds in ecstasy that she understands him because she is an angel. Pulcheria Alexandrovna looks at him with suspicion, wondering whether he is really capable of carrying out his promises, given that he is drunk. He sees through her look, and assures her that he is not drunk from wine, but from meeting them. He proclaims his love for them, saying they seem to have fallen from heaven, but also reprimanding himself for talking nonsense because he is utterly unworthy of them. Razumihin begins raving. First, he talks about how Zosimov fears that Raskolnikov is going mad and mustn't be irritated, which alarms them both, 
but he assures them it is not so. Then he begins telling them about an argument over individualism that nearly brought him to blows at the party. His friends advocate for the complete absence of individualism as the highest point of progress, while he believes it is better to go wrong in one's own way than to go right in someone else's. He looks at them wildly, squeezing their hands, asking, "'Am I right? Am I right?' Pulcheria Alexandrovna cries that she does not know, while Avdotya Romanovna says she agrees with him, but not in everything. He calls her a fount of goodness, purity, sense, and perfection, and falls to his knees before her. He declares himself a luckless fool, unworthy of loving her, and then, as they arrive at the scandalous lodgings, calls her fiancé a scoundrel. He then apologizes for forgetting himself, but proceeds to criticize Lucian further, calling him a spy, a skinflint, a speculator, and a buffoon. He says that though he and his friends might be drunk, they are honest, and will talk their way to truth, while Lucian is on the wrong path. He departs, and Pulcheria Alexandrovna pours out her anxieties over whether they can trust him, and whether it was right to leave Raskolnikov, and over Raskolnikov's strange, sullen behavior. Avdotya Romanovna reassures her mother that he is just unhinged by illness, and as Pulcheria Alexandrovna sits down to await Razumihin's return, Avdotya Romanovna paces the floor, lost in thought. Dostoevsky tells us that though Razumihin's sudden, drunken infatuation was ridiculous— it was also justified. Avdotya Romanovna is good-looking, well-proportioned, and self-reliant. Her face is radiant with kindness and vigor, as suited to thoughtfulness as it is light-hearted laughter. It was natural that a warm, open-hearted, honest giant like Razumihin should lose his head immediately. Pulcheria Alexandrovna, too, is beautiful. Her face, sunken by anxiety and grief, is still handsome and younger than her age. She is emotional and yielding, but also a woman of principles, which nothing can induce her to cross. As he promised, Razumihin returns, saying that he found Raskolnikov sound asleep, and the two women are grateful for his competence and devotion. An hour later he returns with Zosimov, who had come reluctantly, but who, when they receive him like an oracle, enjoys the satisfaction of flattered vanity. He tells them, addressing himself only to Pulcheria Alexandrovna, while stealthily observing her beautiful daughter, that the invalid is getting along satisfactorily. He attributes Raskolnikov's condition to his miserable poverty and to a certain monomania. He advises the avoidance of all fresh shocks, and expresses hopefulness that the presence of his family will bring about recovery. He departs with an impressive bow, and Razumihin follows him. When he comments that Avdotya Romanovna is a fetching girl, Razumihin flies at him in rage, takes him by the throat, and tells him not to dare. He then tells Zosimov that he is to sleep at the landlady's flat— offering him advice about how to melt her like wax. He can speak to her of anything, 
integral calculus even, and she will gaze at him and sigh for a whole year. Then he encourages him to check in on Raskolnikov, and if anything is wrong, to wake him at once. Razumihin wakes the next day feeling like he had never felt before, and knowing that the dream which had fired his imagination is so unattainable he is ashamed of it. He recalls with disgrace how he had abused Avdotya Romanovna's fiancé from jealousy. He tells himself that there must be something to Luzhin if she would agree to marry him, and he scorns himself for being such a drunken, noisy braggart. He resolves to go and ask their forgiveness. He washes and dresses himself scrupulously, but not going so far as to shave, lest they think he did so on purpose for them. Zosimov comes in from the landladies, and hearing from Razumihin that Raskolnikov is asleep, gives orders that they should not wake him. Razumihin berates himself for having told Raskolnikov and his family that Zosimov thinks he might be insane. Zosimov denies really believing such a thing, diagnosing Raskolnikov again as a monomaniac, stirred to illness by his poverty and the suspicions against him. He advises that they all be more careful with Raskolnikov today, and asks Razumihin to give his thanks for the lodging to Praskovia Pavlovna, who would not so much as reply to his bonjour that morning. Razumihin goes to Bakaleyev's house, expecting to be received with sneering looks and contempt. When he is instead greeted with gratitude and friendliness, it throws him into greater confusion. Pohiria Alexandrovna invites Razumihin to breakfast, saying she has something very necessary to talk over. For the next three quarters of an hour, Razumihin answers their questions about the last year of Raskolnikov's life, leaving out certain things like the scene at the police station. In answer to Pulcheria Alexandrovna's question about what Raskolnikov is like, Razumihin says, He is morose, gloomy, proud, and suspicious. He has a noble nature and a kind heart, but he would rather do something cruel than show his feelings. He claims to be busy, but he lies around in bed doing nothing. He does not jeer at things, not because he isn't witty, but because he can't be bothered with trifles. He thinks highly of himself and refuses to listen to other people. He concludes by saying their arrival will surely benefit him. The whole time he talked, he stole glances at Avdotya Romanovna as she paced the floor, continually in fear that he might say something wrong. She thanks him for his impartial report about her brother's character, and says she thinks he is right that Raskolnikov needs a woman's influence. Razumihin counters that he didn't say that. He believes Raskolnikov loves no one, and never will. Pulcheria Alexandrovna adds that in childhood, Raskolnikov was always moody and capricious, and she tells of the shock she had when he announced his intention of marrying the landlady's daughter. Neither her tears, her entreaties, nor her possible death from grief made him pause. Razumihin says he never heard about the engagement from Raskolnikov, but that what he had heard through gossip was strange. The landlady objected to the marriage, and the girl was reputed to be positively ugly, an invalid, and poor. 
Pulcheria Alexandrovna says she rejoiced at the girl's death. She then begins questioning Razumihin again about Raskolnikov's scene with Luzhin, and Razumihin describes it in detail, saying the illness was no excuse since Raskolnikov had planned it all before he fell ill. Razumihin expresses himself carefully, treating Luzhin with respect, and says he is ashamed of his rudeness toward Avdotya Romanovna's fiancé the night before. Pulcheria Alexandrovna then tells him about their own interaction with Luzhin since they arrived. He had promised to meet them at the station, but instead sent a servant to take them to their lodgings. That morning they received a letter from him asking for an interview with them the next morning, and insisting that Raskolnikov not be present for it, given the gross and unprecedented affront he had offered them. Pulcheria Alexandrovna asks Razumihin what she is to do, and he advises her to do as Avdotya Romanovna wishes. What she wishes is that Rodia make a point of being there, believing that the two must meet. The two ladies begin putting on their things to go and see Raskolnikov. Pulcheria Alexandrovna feels afraid of what she will discover, but Dunya encourages her to have faith in him. Pulcheria Alexandrovna then says she had a dream that Marfa Petrovna, who had recently died, came to her and shook her head at her as if in blame. She asks Razumihin anxiously whether this is a good omen. She is surprised to learn he doesn't know who Marfa Petrovna is, as she had begun to regard him as a relation who knew everything about them. They approach Raskolnikov's door, Pulcheria Alexandrovna pale, distressed, and fearful of how to act, and Dunya advises her to stop tormenting herself. Razumihin goes on before them, and reaching the fourth story, they notice two black eyes peering from behind the landlady's door, which suddenly shuts with a slam. The next of my posts was called More on Razumihin. One of our group members commented what a pleasure it was to spend two chapters with Razumihin after having been holed up in a sick room with Raskolnikov. I couldn't agree more. Another likened Razumihin to Levin from Tolstoy's Anna Karenina in the sense that both are secondary characters far more admirable than those central to the story. He wondered whether, like Levin was to Tolstoy, Razumihin was to Dostoevsky a semi-autobiographical voice in the book. I am not a scholar of Dostoevsky's life and works, but based on what I do know, I seriously doubt it. Dostoevsky seems clearly fond of Razumihin, presenting him, in the best summation of his character, as, quote, a warm, simple-hearted, honest giant, unquote. But though he regards him as a kind, guileless, and generous man, I also have the impression that he regards him as a bit of a buffoon. Razumihin is charming, but I think he is also presented as having an optimism that is naive, an intellectual confidence that is superficial, and a simple joy in life that is unfortunately a consequence of both. My impression, having read this novel, and Notes from Underground, and the Brothers Karamazov, is that Dostoevsky regards the untortured life as not worth living.
he seems to think that man is corrupt by nature, and that a life of meaning and reflection requires that he penitently weep. Regardless, Razumihin's presence in these chapters was unequivocally refreshing, and it is worth examining more closely both what makes him so lovable and what disqualifies him as a Dostoevskian hero. It is impossible not to be charmed by his immediate and irrepressible love for Dunya. How he starts at her flashing glance, how he declares himself drunk from love, how he proclaims her fallen from heaven, how he feels ready to throw himself headlong down the stairs at her command. Razumihin says at one point that Raskolnikov would rather do a cruel thing than open his heart freely. In that sense, he is Raskolnikov's opposite. His heart is wide open, and we cannot imagine him capable of cruelty. Also charming is his bear-like and overzealous protectiveness and affection. He squeezes their hands till it hurts, almost frightening them with his affectionate gestures. He witnesses their conflict with Raskolnikov over Luzhin, and assumes authoritative control, calling Raskolnikov a tyrant, ordering them to go home, and promising to look after Raskolnikov himself. He is so sweetly and candidly self-deprecating about his own unworthiness of Dunya. He apologizes for his uncontainable love. He begs them not to laugh at him, and declares he will douse himself with cold water from the gutter to bring him to his senses. He agonizes over how to present himself the next day, desiring to clean himself up for their sake, but not too much, lest they interpret him to believe he has any real chance with her. But as lovable as this all makes him, it also seems to me there's an undeniable quality of superficial lightness and unseriousness about his character. It is Raskolnikov who can see Luzhin's soul, where Razumihin is more content to assume the best about him. His overzealousness, squeezing their hands like a vice, is simultaneously adorable and a little oafish. And his doting affection for Raskolnikov, his willingness to endure his cruelty, his eager excuse-making for all the behaviors that point to his crime, all this makes him seem overly trusting and a bit naive. It was all there in our first introduction to Razumihin, before we had even seen him. He is good-natured, intelligent, candid, but certainly rather a simpleton. For those who've read Aerosmith with me, I think the similarities to Sundalius are striking, and I love them both. But I think they aren't the heroes of the stories because their joyful spirits are in defiance of the universe as the authors see it. The last of my post was called Favorites. I thought I'd share a few of my favorite moments from this chapter, and I'd love to hear some of yours. First, I absolutely adored Razumihin's ranting aside about his friend's conformity and contempt for individualism. At my school, Van Damme Academy, we swear allegiance to the principle of hierarchy, which means we work hard to ensure that the knowledge we teach our students is not memorized and repeated like a parrot, but utterly, sincerely, and independently their own. Now, in tribute to that principle, 
I am armed with the words of Razumihin. Quote, What do you think? You think I am attacking them for talking nonsense? Not a bit. I like them to talk nonsense. That's man's one privilege over all creation. Through error you come to the truth. I am a man because I err. You never reach any truth without making fourteen mistakes, and very likely a hundred and fourteen. And a fine thing, too, in its way. But we can't even make mistakes on our own account. Talk nonsense, but talk your own nonsense, and I'll kiss you for it. To go wrong in one's own way is better than to go right in someone else's. In the first case, you are a man. In the second, you're no better than a bird." Unquote. Also, I loved the further exposure of Zosimov's pretentious phoniness, captured in the scene of his report on Raskolnikov's health to his mother and sister. He is immediately struck by Avdotya Romanovna's beauty. But rather than guilelessly flinging his heart wide open in the style of Razumihin, he plays it cool, trying hard not to let on that he has noticed her, and smugly believing this self-control somehow gives him the upper hand. Quote, he spoke with marked sympathy, but with the reserve and extreme seriousness of a young doctor at an important consultation. He did not utter a word on any other subject, and did not display the slightest desire to enter into more personal relations with the two ladies. Remarking at his first entrance the dazzling beauty of Avdotya Romanovna, he endeavored not to notice her at all during his visit, and addressed himself solely to Pulcheria Alexandrovna. All this gave him extraordinary inward satisfaction." Unquote. Where Razumihin's unreserved affection is charming, Zosimov's literal lip-licking admiration is gross. Finally, I laughed out loud at Razumihin's pickup artist advice to Zosimov about how to seduce the landlady. Quote, but she won't care a straw whether it's you or I, so long as somebody sits beside her, sighing. I can't explain the position, brother. Look here. You are good at mathematics, and working at it now. Begin teaching her the integral calculus. Upon my soul, I'm not joking. I'm in earnest. It'll be just the same to her. She will gaze at you and sigh for a whole year together. I talked to her once for two days at a time about the Prussian House of Lords, for one must talk of something. She just sighed and perspired." Unquote. I laughed even harder at how much Razumihin had underestimated that the success of these methods had to do with the fact that they were implemented by him, and how utterly they fail in Zosimov's hands. The landlady wouldn't even acknowledge him when he said good morning. If you had any favorite scenes, lines, moments, insights from these chapters, share them in the Facebook group or send me an email. I love to hear them.